Please note, for maximum picture quality, it may be necessary to adjust the tracking control on your VCR. Four men, two trucks, a pile of nitroglycerin, an off-road adventure through the Amazon jungle. On that bombshell, this is not the newest episode of Top Gear, but oh, it is Adjust Your Tracking. <laughs> A podcast where we're on an adventure to watch a century of cinema, decade by decade, year by year, and I'm one half of your hosts, Liam Delaney. And, and I'm Oliver it, Jones, and I hate you. Why do you hate me? Why? Because I wanted to do a Top Gear joke. <laughs> it's the most obvious of jokes. <laughs> no, it is like, it's... The Duelist is pretty much like an episode of a Christmas special of Top Gear, though, isn't it? The Duelist? Mixed with... Not Duelist. Why am I saying the Duelist? What film did you watch this week? I've, I've, I've been operating on the last two weeks with about three hours sleep every night. So please forgive me if I'm a bit uh, out there. Yeah, that's Um, kind of normal for me, to be honest. um, You know. Yeah, it's got a bit of um, uh, scrap heap challenge mixed in there as well. A little bit as well. That's true. That's true. (laughs) Did you? And actually. and we should also say that we're joined today by uh, Mr. Paul Naden, who I can see grinning over there. I'm I'm just happy to be here. <laughs> <laughs> Did you want to do the Top Gear joke? Is that the problem? <laughs> nah, I'm all right. It's been okay. done. It's been done, isn't it? It's too done. obvious. It's too obvious. <laughs> so yeah, um, <sighs> apologies for, for not being on the... Well, obviously there wasn't an episode last week, but the week before. No, we took a week off. Yeah. But, um, I really enjoyed that episode you did with Brandon. I was... It was about three in the morning and I was animating and I was enjoying listening to your episode about F for Fake, which I'm going to watch before we do our final episode of the month. Oh, you got to watch it. It's it's absolutely insane. I loved Wells so much. I love I loved just getting to know Orson Wells while watching that documentary. Him in his cape and his little hat and like uh, just jaunting around. I was very pleased by it. So like, so you've been busy the last two weeks. Tell, tell us what you've been doing. Uh, I've been animating a music video, a stop motion or claymation music video. Uh, which is insane because really for claymation you should probably spend I don't know it prob- you probably get around six seconds a week if you're doing it properly. I had on average every three days I was doing about forty five seconds to a minute, so it's not exactly nice. the greatest animation you've ever seen in your life. It's it's deadline style. So, but um, okay. Brandon is also working on that video because normally I'm a mentalist and I do everything on my music video. So I shoot them, I edit them, and I composite them. But I just didn't have the the time. I had four weeks, so um, I got. Uh, I, it was two weeks into me making all the props and characters and stuff, and I just had a proper panic attack. And I just phoned up Brandon, and I was like, "Please, please, 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 work on this video with me. Uh, be the editor and compositor." And he did a wicked job, and we delivered it today. And um, really happy with how it turned out, actually. Yeah, you sent yeah. it to me earlier, and I thought it was absolutely awesome. I loved the plot of it and the ideas, and I loved how everything came together. It was really cool. <laughs> It's a bit random. Yeah, but it, I like it. I like it a lot. It works. Yeah, I, I don't know when it's coming out. I mean, I'm sure no one who likes the psychedelic form crumpets, who's the video I made the video for, <laughs> will listen to this podcast. They might do. So they I'll, might do. So I'll keep the plot line under wraps until next week. Or sure. Or we'll just post it on the Twitter or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So when it comes out, we'll make sure people check it out because I think it's really cool. I think people will enjoy it as well because it's really Thanks different. <laughs> And it's your normal style as well, the normal kind of stuff you do. So, like, if well, anyone's watched your stuff glory. before, <laughs> yeah, gross and fairy taleish. That's yeah, like, that's, that's the Jones style. It is. Anyway, Nadine, how are you? What have you been up to? 
I'm alright, man. Uh, what have I been up to? Well, it was my baby girl's first birthday last happy week. Birthday, Ada. Yeah. Yeah. Birthday. So that was that was lovely. She got to see like uh, great grandma and and all that, which was which was really lovely. And uh, yeah, and uh, in a few days we're moving house as well. So it's go 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 in the yeah. in the Naden household. And obviously, um, it's event season in my job as well. And even with well, especially with oh, the whole global pandemic situation, like all the physical events kind of aren't happening. So mm-hmm. now there's just tons and tons of these digital events popping up. So a big part of our job has basically been filling in forms and like trying to work out what's actually worth doing and what's yeah. and what's a waste of time. And it's all, yeah, I mean, it's, it's fun, like doing new things and, you know, trying to work out, but it's... Uh, you know, it's a little bit stressful when you when you're essentially being paid to be an expert on something that no one knows anything about. Um, yeah, you just described <laughs> my job. <laughs> Do you think um, the way this year's gone and stuff like that, with the and all these events going digital and stuff, is that going to affect your industry going forward? You reckon? Or? Well, it's, it's an interesting thing because I think um, a lot of people have commented, obviously, so much of the video game industry now is is online anyway everything oh, yeah everything's digital everything's download more and more games are becoming it's computers like, <laughs> more and more games are becoming like social platforms and stuff so obviously during a time where people can't go out and like meet their friends or whatever you know people kind of or just go out and do things in general um so you know you you see these you see these reports there was one i was looking at the other week it's like quarter two for video game sales in the u.s was up 30 percent year on year and when you think about the numbers involved that's that's a huge amount and it was already a record-breaking first quarter in the u.s as well so i mean it's it's just crazy but obviously you know we're now seeing a kind of like knock-on especially of the larger studios having to go people people are going work from home there's the new console generation coming out later this year which is obviously an inherently like physical process which has been slowed down a lot um and then there's you know there's other things like the just the fact that like at the moment everything's kind of gravy and there's a couple of you know there's there's some significant delays like for example uh halo was delayed which obviously a lot of people were excited Mm. for with the new xbox release because it's such a kind of iconic xbox title uh, that's been delayed along with a, a lot of these other big titles and I think it's um, I think it's going to be like a few years before we really start feeling the effects of what's happened right, yeah, yeah, this yeah. year um, but in in the short term in the short term it's fine uh, <laughs> we'll see I could start being really boring about it but I won't I think it's <laughs> I think it's just one of those it's just one of those things where like it will have an effect in a few years but for now it's uh it's just very interesting, and it's a wild ride. Uh, it is, yeah, definitely. How are you, Liam, anyway? I didn't ask you. I'm fine. I was just going to say, to Paul's point, I've bought more video games in this kind of year than I think I've bought in <laughs> other years. Like, I really have bought quite a few in the last few months. So Yeah, yeah. I mean, of course people are doing that, and it makes sense. It's also interesting because it's kind of delayed a turn towards like a more subscription-based model for video games, that you look at things like game pass xbox game pass um, for anyone even if you don't own an xbox the pc version of the game pass is such a ridiculously good deal like any i i encourage anyone with a laptop that that can run anything 
to just like go and have a look and and check out some indie games there because for the sake of like three pounds a month it's like it's it's genuinely like ridiculous what's on there and um obviously with the epic game store as well giving out yeah, multiple well, free games well. every single week some really really great stuff like especially if especially on the indie side of things you know maybe yeah. like you know maybe you're just a person who plays like fifa and a shooter once a year or like one of the big like open world ubisoft games or something but like you know if you're looking for like a little gap filler get on get on one of them and just see what's see what's there for i think it was um, basically last nothing. week was it Wilmot's Warehouse by Finji, I think, was on the yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was incredible game, and that's the thing. That game, like that game, did not come out like a long time ago. You know what I mean? There's there's more and more games like, and there's a lot of games now just like launching straight onto to Game Pass as well. Um, So I mean, it's it's a fantastic time at the moment. Unfortunately, it's kind of like again from the sort of boring business side of it we joke a lot because we work with a lot of indie games we joke a lot the fact that these huge you know you're talking about like some of the biggest companies in the world you're talking about you know microsoft microsoft and and google and sony and epic games which is a multi-billion dollar company that's like taking on apple in a legal battle at the moment and apple themselves as well have been a huge part of this essentially they're training their customer base that games are free yeah, or sure. that games don't yeah, cost yeah, anything, yeah. and that's yeah. that's a that's games a very yeah. yeah exactly. I mean that's a very entrenched attitude already on on mobile platforms. Yeah, uh, but now with things like you know you look at you look at the biggest games in the world, and a lot of them are they're just free to play now. You know, so mm. they're kind of like raising a generation of of young people with the idea that like a video game isn't something you pay for; it's just something you kind of click on and download, which is difficult obviously for smaller creators who don't have access to like you know marketing budgets in the millions and all this kind of things i mean i'm sure there's like a lot of overlap with (laughs) with with the movie industry here so hopefully i'm saying things that are interesting to people well that's what i was just thinking as you were talking because like when you talk about video games and the amount of people start consuming them almost the opposite is happening with a lot of film stuff at the moment like um, you're getting a lot of these streaming platforms come out. It doesn't really affect us in the UK as much as America, but like there's a ton of these streaming platforms coming out that are just collapsing and having really bad launches and not getting picked up at all. Like you think like Voodoo, um, or like Quibi or something like that in America, and then Peacock and then Disney Plus and then HBO's awful release date that people don't even understand what HBO is doing with their kind of service. And well, that then really Apple already exist, came out and stuff it, like that. It's, they're just um, rebranding it. The HBO one isn't it just like a rebrand? No, it's a new bit. one. It's like HBO new... Go and HBO Max. Is right? it Max? They okay. they both exist as separate elements. Oh, uh, okay. So, I don't understand. No one. Do you know what? There was really. there was that there was that brief window where like it was more convenient to have a subscription to something than to just pirate stuff. Yeah, and honestly, and it's changed. <laughs> well, now it's, it's going to get to the yeah. point where you you go on Netflix just to watch Netflix stuff. You go on Amazon to watch yeah. Amazon stuff. You have to go to a Universal to watch Universal movies, and then it's just going to be like I may as well just buy the DVD or the Blu-ray of the film I want because like or just pirate it because you'd have well, to pay I don't so mind. much for all these subscription services. Like I thought, yeah. the whole point of these subscription services that would cut down having cable or satellite and stuff like that and all these kind yeah. of, but it doesn't really. It makes it even worse. Well, you know, the pro- the problem with capitalism is it only works in theory. Yeah. I was going to say, because I don't mind renting a film. 
I'm more than happy to rent a film and pay like two quid yeah. to rent it and watch yeah, it. Yeah, agreed. But even the catalogues of these sites are, are restricted. So I still need to have like 70 loggings to, to rent a movie from somewhere. It's absolutely frustrating. And even then it's hard to find sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, it's like when it's like when I find myself like going between like going between Netflix and Amazon and Hulu, just like trying to find where I can watch something. And the mm. whole time I'm doing it, I'm just like Pirate Bay will have it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And with with download speeds being what they are, like, yeah. you know, I get I'll have I get, it in like yeah. I'll have it in yeah. five minutes if I went to Pirate I, Bay. <laughs> that's it, I get a solid two hundred meg where I am. Yeah. Like I've got you know, I've got my torrent program pinned to my taskbar, I open that up, I, you know, the search is all internal these days. It's it's on it like it's just so much quicker and more convenient. And I say that as someone like I I got Netflix specifically because uh, Breaking Bad was on it and people were talking oh, yeah. about Breaking Bad and I was like, oh, there's a free trial. I'll get the free trial. I'll watch Breaking Bad. I'll cancel it and that'll be that'll be great. I never watched Breaking Bad all the way through. <laughs> <laughs> but like since then, I don't know. That's a while ago now. And I've had yeah. my I've had my subscription consistently throughout all of that. I've had Amazon Prime for Same. a long time as well. Like, I mean, before I've moved down here. So like over five years, I've, I've had it all of that time. And I'm just like, so I'm paying this money. I'm yeah. paying the money yeah. for the subscription. <laughs> I've never stopped paying. Same, but yeah. it's just it's just annoying. And like as soon as and and you know I pay for my Spotify as well, and all you know all all that kind of stuff. But like as soon as like there was that movie, oh god, what's his name? The lad from Brooklyn Nine Nine. He he had a movie that was like kind of it was like Groundhog Day, but like he's with someone else as well, and it's on Hulu. Yeah, okay. I can't remember. It looks it. it looks great. I think it's like yeah. the name Andy of Sandberg. a place. Andy Samberg. It's like the name of a place, like San. Oh, I know else. which one you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can't yeah. Think. It's like the name of a place, and it's like Groundhog Day, but there's two of them, and they get up to shenanigans, and it's and it's kind of wacky. But that looked great. And then as soon as I saw it was on Hulu, it's like I just. Oh, I was I'm like, not seeing that then. <laughs> well, it's like if I see it, if I see it, I'm a pirate. It, but I saw like you know. I saw apparently like it's like the most it, watched thing ever on Hulu. So you know, was it Palm Springs? No, Palm Springs. That's, Palm it. Springs, I that's it. I had that I had San Junipero in my head, and I was like, nope, it's not that. But it's like that. But it's, um, it was like that with um bloody the new JGL film with Jamie J- Jamie Fox film. I call it a JGL film. He's not leading it. But like um, <laughs> is it called Power Something? I looks I awful. <laughs> it's on Netflix, I think. Yeah, but yeah. Like, terrible. I was like, oh, I'll watch that, and then I. Then Netflix wasn't selling it to me. Clearly, my watch yeah, habits yeah. don't align with its like algorithm. <laughs> so I just forgot it existed within a week. But they, I love my favorite thing about Netflix is where they release their data figures, like the old guard, the new Gina Blyce, um Gina Blyce May, whatever her name is. It's meant to be great. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, with um, Charlize Theron. I watched. That yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like yeah, yeah. from that went from one day being like no one's watched this, and this film's got, and to like it's the most watched film in history. Seventy billion people have watched it according to. Netflix stats like yeah. I, I don't know how they they pretend that these stats are real. <laughs> like, <laughs> didn't they didn't they change them recently? I'm sure I'm I sure think I they have adjusted it recently again. Honestly though these these algorithmic suggestion things are really fascinating like as as part of my job we work with um 
an online PC game platform called Steam, which I'm sure the two of you are familiar with. It's it's cool. it's kind of like you know the way the way it used to be described as like iTunes for games kind of thing, <laughs> but now there's this whole extra like kind of social platform like, integrated into it, and it's it's basically like if you if you're a if you're a smaller or even even mid-sized uh, video game developer or publisher, like it's the only it's the only yeah, platform where you yeah, gonna, yeah, yeah. where you have a chance of getting like a serious amount of sales um and it's just it's just an absolute like cold steel trap of you just have to please the algorithm and that is sure. that's it and it's an interesting thing seeing netflix because you look at the shows that they decide to make and promote yeah it's very it, like it's very obvious that that is driven by the algorithm and it's driven oh, by definitely. people's viewing habits and it's and it's the same thing whereas steam's uh seems owned by a company called valve who do make their own games but within like well. generally <laughs> on <laughs> occasionally they make a game but like generally like on on the platform it's made by other people but the same thing has happened where because of how the steam algorithm works and because Steam is like the only option, if you really want to sell like a lot of copies, like it's it's the only option to go to for PC. That just means the whole independent video game development uh, ecosystem is totally based on how do you get that presence on Steam. Yeah, and nothing sure. else really matters. So it's really interesting when you kind of have that one company that has like so much power to decide what that is. And it's interesting, uh, you know going back to the to the Netflix thing with these kind of uh, I don't know if this exists in movies but in 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 games we'd, we'd call it like double a like you've yeah, got sure. your tri- yeah. you got your triple yeah, yeah. a game which yeah, is yeah. like you're hunting like just like hundreds of millions of dollars budget you know, Assassin's Creed Call of Duty or whatever and then you have like the double a titles which are kind of like you know they're they're trying to be similar to that but they just don't have quite the amount of resources and the i think the reason netflix i'm sorry if this is just treading really obvious ground for you guys but like the reason netflix can kind of get away with that is because they decide what to promote on their platform so they have this like massive install base and then suddenly it's like so to them it makes sense to keep a budget like relatively contained put a famous yeah. face on in front of it and then just yeah, push yeah, it yeah. to every single user they have like as hard as possible of like check this out this is trending this is like number one in your region this is like this is similar to other things you like and it, they decide you know what i mean it's like they decide what what you might like mm-hmm. with these with these suggestion albums and you know like people do like charlie's theron people like jamie fox people like you know all of these faces well, they put Will on the Ferrell poster. Eurovision was another thing in this Will Ferrell like, yeah. that was that was surprisingly good I expected that to be really terrible but my my <laughs> wife loves my wife loves Eurovision like oh, me too. more than anything else like more than Christmas more than Halloween more, more than anything and it's uh... <laughs> I haven't watched it yet I keep meaning to watch it I haven't actually got around to it it's I don't genuine watch a lot it's of genuinely better is my problem. Yeah, it was, it's genuinely a lot better than I expected. And I think most of that is the fact that... Um, oh God, I'm so bad with names. Is it Rachel McAdams? Yeah, yeah, yeah she's in it. Yeah, yeah, Rachel McAdams is so good. Like, okay. I, I mean, I think she's I think she's a brilliant actress anyway, but, like, she's so good in this movie. It's just, it's just exactly right. Like, you can feel, like, the moments between her and Will Ferrell where she knows exactly where to rein it in and be the straight man and she knows exactly Ooh. when to push it and and be the silly one 
and it's this incredible dynamic because it's not like I mean, it's it's classic Will Ferrell, really. It's like the kind of thing that you do with John C. Riley, where there's no yeah. real kind of straight man, but it's it's just all about like kind of maintaining that balance where like both of them are as silly as each other, and and yeah, she does that so well. And I think that's uh, I think that's the reason the movie's like so much better than I expected it to be. I might watch it tonight. Actually, that's a, I might that might go. I might watch. I mean, <laughs> to be clear. Better than I expected it to be. <laughs> Not <laughs> yeah, right. Sure. <laughs> Tam expectations there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a, if if you like Will Ferrell, you'll you'll like it. It's it's fun. I've, I've only seen the music video where they're like on top of a mountain doing the kind of oh, kind of like the kind of the. I guess yeah, it's their yeah. Eurovision song that they're. Yeah, there's there's a lot of that where it's just kind of gently poking fun at, uh, at Eurovision. But anyway, that's, you know, the general point about the Netflix thing is obviously because they have this install base, they don't have to pay all of this marketing money that a lot of movies would have to. They can keep they can keep the budget like a lot tighter. So mm. in terms of like a business model, it's at the moment it's like sustainable, but I wonder how long they can kind of maintain that sort of balancing well, act. I read a, I read an article today. I can't remember what it was in, but it was about the fact that the lockdown has secured Netflix to exist forever. Basically, oh. like they they were kind uh, of struggling yeah, yeah. a little bit, but this year has completely changed them for like their fortunes. And they've even got yeah. to the a lot of the creators are talking about at the moment the fact that you can't make a TV show with Netflix. Not that you can't make one, but they're not interested in doing anything that lasts more than two seasons because after two seasons they notice view figures drop and they don't yeah. care about funding anything further. It's not yeah, about okay. making good art, so to speak, just not to content. sound lofty, but it's just about making content that sells and yeah, makes the money it's, it's for Netflix. The, um, it's the acquisition that drops off, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, 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 yeah. totally. That's it. Which that's... is interesting because you've you got to wonder, you know, back to my previous point, it's like at the moment, obviously, acquisition is priority, but sooner or later, that's going to plateau as well. So Surely. retention... Will actually Retention become, has like, to be important, yeah. Exactly, like you, I, I reckon we'll probably see that crossover at some point where, like, you know, because it's uh, and again, it's all algorithm, it's all like the what yeah. the numbers on the spreadsheet say, and it might change from what are, what are the shows that will hook people in and get people to, you know, to to do the trial, and what are the things that are actually like keeping people around. Um, yeah. And that, I mean, that shift will have to happen, like whether they become too sort of big or like too set in their model to make that shift. We'll see. But we'll see, I think, yeah, sure. yeah. I mean, I, I totally, I can totally understand how this year will have really sort of cemented that. And especially with the kind of, because surely like the really big budget movies, like they're just, they just, just can't. Exist. They yeah, don't they exist. They just can't yeah. they don't do exist anything at the time. moment, can yeah. they? Talking about that, because like Disney Plus is releasing Mulan on streaming next mm. month, is it? For like thirty, you know like 30 quid. <laughs> yeah, thirty quid for a ticket for it. It's absolutely insanity to me. And I know that their argument is if you went to the cinema with your kids and you bought popcorn and everything like that, it's easier thirty pound journey. But I'm not. My TV isn't a fucking cinema. Yeah, like I don't it's, have kids. It's my TV. <laughs> like, 
Yeah. It's it's not the same thing at all. It, it's not an equa- it's not an equation that works. Like they're just they're just relying on people not understanding how business works to accept that as an excuse. Yeah, that's all that is. That's just that's total bullshit. You'd you'd think as well if you have Disney Plus, you'd get like a discount on it or something like that, so you get it cheaper yeah. if you've got that service. But no, it's the same price on all all on places, isn't it? So it's like ridiculous. There's almost no point to pay for Disney Plus. Yeah, exactly. Just if you want to watch the new Disney films, just rent them from them because what does it matter if you're paying the money each month? They don't care. They don't give you a benefit for watching anything. So. I think with this Mulan, the idea is you get to keep it though. It's like it's your, it's in your account. Is it? I thought it was a rental. I, no, I think you keep it. Okay. I think with Bill and Ted in America, it's going to be a rental. I think it's like twenty four dollars. I mean, define define keep for Mulan. Okay, digital keep. Digital. Yeah. digital keep like it's in your Disney Plus library, yeah, but, but it'll end up on Disney Plus it. eventually anyway, won't it? So like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will eventually. But I mean, that's another topic. Like the topic of ownership is a huge. We talked about thing. that last time, actually. Yeah. All like... right. Well, we'll skip over that if that's ground, <laughs> if that's no, I just if that's that, ground. Yeah, I agree. If that's ground that's been covered, but I mean that's another thing. Obviously, in in my line of work, it's it has been a hot topic. Um, because you know these platforms don't don't last forever. Like you know, you're no. paying you're paying for access. You're not paying for a product. No, yeah. Uh, talking of Steam, actually, I noticed that I'd lost some games over the like that I used to I bought before, and I no longer have access yeah. to them. I noticed that as well, which I was like, ah, oh, that's a thing. I forgot that it just happens. Like, well, I bought mm. games on my PlayStation three ages ago. I had um, and they were Ubisoft games. I think actually one was Turtles in Time. They remade it in three D and um, Scott Pilgrim the game. But they they must have lost the license to those characters or games, so they can no longer sell that content. Mm. And so they've taken it off the yeah, store. Scott, so you can't Scott download Pilgrim's, it. Yeah, yeah. Scott Pilgrim's quite a famous example actually. Like it just it came out and it was available for a bit and then it wasn't. And it's that's, a pretty good and game actually. And that, that's the end of it. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll play, I'll I remember play it being a, a good bit. game. I enjoyed yeah. it. You know, fun, like, kind of brawler thing, wasn't it? But yeah, it's like, um, and that'll happen more and more. That's the thing. Um, you know, and you, you've got to worry about, because uh, Google launched a, uh, like, cloud gaming thing called Stadia. Oh, yeah. Uh, last year, which is like, you know, the, the whole hook, you haven't even heard of it. Oh, my God, <laughs> that's so funny. Really? We joke about it all the time. Yeah, yeah. But it's uh, it's basically, like, uh, the games all stream. You don't need a machine to play them. You don't need to download anything. But you pay a subscription and you and pay, pay for the, the full price of the game on oh, top. God. And obviously the library is extremely limited. There is like there is a little bit more of a delay because obviously it's coming. It's just coming from a remote PC, yeah, just being yeah, being yeah. streamed, being streamed to whatever. You, so it does like. It feels slightly different, and it's one of those things where, with Google's history of just canning anything that isn't working how they want it to, yeah, you've got sure. to kind of wonder, Wave. like, yeah, because there are people, you know, there are people who were very excited about it, who are very excited about the idea of of cloud gaming, of like system agnostic, like all you need sure. is a screen and a controller kind of stuff. And I think it is, it is sort of the future. Like if you look at these. You know, they call them stuff like horrible terms like developing markets or whatever. But it's just the amount sure, of people sure, sure, in like sure. India and Brazil and Russia yeah. and these places where, you know, as as like four and five G, like as, as the coverage expands, you know, and as it basically means that like people in those areas will be able to keep up with the latest things. 
despite maybe not being able to keep up with the latest hardware, which, you know, in theory <laughs> is a net benefit, but we all know how these things go. Yeah. In, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're more the, restrictive. In the hellscape that we live yeah. in. Um, but yeah, so my, my point behind that was like, it's it's extremely possible if it doesn't work out how Google wanted it to, that they could just shut it down. And people who paid, yeah. people who paid like however much money, you know, for, for games on the platform just won't be able to access, them anymore, access to them anymore. Or, yeah. It's it's interesting because the, the streaming service for movies are going to have to start thinking about it and cinemas are going to have to start thinking because it only came out, what, this week? Was it the chief medical officer for Britain? I don't know what his real title is. It's not Star Trek or whatever. He, um, <laughs> he basically said, don't use the cinema. Like, yeah. when it opens, he doesn't recommend anyone going to the cinema, even in a mask. He was just like, that's wow. a really stupid idea. Um, and the cinemas are meant to be opening, what, the next week? Two weeks, I think? Yeah, like, Tenant's meant Family to be right? out, I think. And then Bill and Ted's yeah. coming out. Bill cinema only in the UK, out. which is annoying, because it's out, like, next week in America. Which I think is totally <laughs> dumb, because yeah. no one's going to pirate meaning, it. <laughs> yeah, meaning it's out in the world next yeah. week. Yeah. I don't understand yeah. why they think it's limited. Like, <laughs> Apparently, young people don't know how to pirate things anymore, but you know, they'll learn. Uh, very I think quickly. they can learn very quickly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not difficult. <laughs> not that this is a, a pro <laughs> like piracy podcast. But yeah, the thing is, I mean, obviously, it's it's difficult, and it's you know, it's the same with video games as well. That obviously, piracy is an issue. It is slightly more difficult with you know video games compared to like music and movies and things. Oh, but totally. it's just yeah, yeah. it's just part it's just part of the world we exist in and if you're not aware of it and if you're making decisions that don't make sense when it exists you know like um, that's the thing yeah yeah yeah. like the the mandalorian that was another one wasn't it because that was only available in the u.s on this new service that you had to pay for and it's like you you absolutely what are you what are you trying to do it's like you're undermining your own service because you're immediately teaching people that they can just pirate the stuff that you're trying to sell them, like, and they like, okay, like in in a perfect world, piracy wouldn't be necessary, which would yeah. also include like actual preservation by the companies who are making this stuff, which you know they don't think that they should be responsible for. They think it's okay that these things just disappear into the ether, you know, never to be seen again. Um, but piracy is is at the moment it's essential to preservation number one which means you know it's not going away and number two it's like i'm sorry but like it's an option and if you're not factoring in like if you're not factoring in the decision that people go through as we were talking about before like if it's you know if it's really that much easier if it's that much easier to acquire something like you know illegally than it is to acquire it legally. Like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you paying what, for it? What like, are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> that was the whole thing, because the big, the big thing that pushed against Pirate Bay, and the, the big reason that it got so attacked by a lot of money, was be- was Game of Thrones. Because mm, HBO was yeah. so annoyed that, like, Game of Thrones was the most downloaded TV show at the moments after they showed it in America. But yep. you, HBO doesn't have a streaming service in any other country but America. Mm-hmm. Like, And surely that's... That's your answer there, guys? <laughs> like, like, surely you just do, a, you know, um, open yeah, up that market? Yeah, yeah. I don't... Well, that, that's it. I mean, they're, they're a business. They're trying to maximise profits. And they, you know, their way of going about that is incorrect. Yeah. I'm just talking about... I've just got an email as we're sitting here from Odie and Cinema telling me to come watch um, 
tenant next Wednesday. So, <laughs> <laughs> so absolutely, it's on. As a valued customer, yeah. we want you to die. It pains me, though, because I, I love watching a Christopher Nolan film at the cinema. It's like one of my highlights of any cinema going year if his films are out, and I'm just not going to go. You're just not going to do it at all. It's not going to do it. It's not worth it. It'll come out eventually and I'll I'll go and see it. And I'll watch it. But no, I'm not going to go to the cinema to go and watch it. I'd rather just held it off, held it back, personally. But, you know. Yeah. But cinemas need to survive somehow, I guess. But No, I I know. I I know. It's it's a tough one. They're not going to survive. But, (laughs) like. (laughs) Well, they were were already kind of hanging by a thread, weren't they? Exactly. But it's just like, you know, the, the. the co- it's just a common theme, isn't it? It's just accelerated already existing trends of people moving from going to a physical shop to buy something to just like getting it, you know, getting it online. And um, I mean, again, or, that, that's know, that's a problem. Though. Like, I mean, that's that's a problem because a lot of these, a lot of this kind of startup culture, like you know, like what's happening at at the moment in uh, in California with like Uber and Lyft, like how they said, sure. you know your your drivers are employees and uber and lyft basically their counter argument is that the drivers aren't essential to their business mm-hmm. which <laughs> is ridiculous but is also true yeah at the yeah, same time sure. Sure. like <laughs> because because their, their business model well that, that's that's the thing though isn't it is because their their business model is to circumvent regulations drive other yeah. companies out of business essentially yeah. replace the drivers with driverless vehicles mm-hmm. and all the time be funded by venture capitalist money while losing money yeah by never making a profit like yeah, making never a loss making every it. single time yeah yeah and now like a lot of you know a lot of these online businesses do the same kind of things where mm-hmm. they will just they will just circumvent regulation they'll take advantage of loopholes and because they're backed by so much money they can lean very heavily on legislators and this i mean maybe we're getting a little bit off topic here (laughs) but it's it's basically you know this this um you know the global pandemic has kind of accelerated that process and you've got to you got to wonder what will you know what will happen to cinemas like you know i mean just total like ridiculous kind of thinking but like what does a netflix cinema look like well they do own some now don't they because they, because yeah. they bought the old one, of the old cinemas in New York. I can't remember its name, but they basically bought it because um, they want to have cinema releases to get Oscars more than anything else. They need to get those award shows in, and you have to have a certain amount of cinema releases to make that happen. But I think the old law, the old monopoly law, has just been scrapped. And the old, the old law was that basically studios are not allowed to own cinemas; they have to be mm. separate. And yeah, that yeah, monopoly yeah. law was put in like the 30s. And that they've just scrapped that in the last like month or whatever. So I think Universal may have just bought some cinemas, and I think Disney are buying some cinemas right now or looking into buy ArcLight. I think they are. So yeah. it's whatever kind of this industry is. It's been like it's definitely going to change in the next few years. I mean that's that's a perfect example though, isn't it? Because that doesn't happen without pressure and intervention from studios and from mm, absolutely, you know, from online things like like Netflix for example like I'm sure because of the sort of the market position that HBO have like I'm sure they'd be looking at you know possibly going into like feature length kind of stuff yeah um, they've been buying yeah, films I'm sure that's on the yeah, table for they, them if they they're not doing buy it from already. sundown so 
Yeah. But so anyway. The, the state of the world. It's got very happy right now. <laughs> I was going to say, um, before we move on, I um, next week, I don't think I'll be here. So I think, as I guess, maybe Ollie might be doing a special episode of himself or something. I don't know. But um, I've got an, I've got an idea of what I want to do. I've just got to, I've got to find someone to do it with me. Okay, <laughs> cool. Um, I'll look forward to that. But I'm the same thing. I'm I was meant to be in Budapest next week, and I'm not. I'm here, but I'm still at a conference the entire week, which was like a three day conference, and now is six day conference, I think. Um, and I've got my own session that I'm chairing and, you know, trying to organise all the speakers for it and I'm giving a paper and it's way too much work and I hate the platform that they've chosen and, like, half the papers keep dropping out and I know my internet's going to just cancel itself halfway through my session or something, but... Any, the Yeah, conferences. <laughs> like, And they've all just been it. shoved into this in time you. of the year as well. That's what's really yeah. funny. Everyone went, oh, we'll just move into the August when there won't be COVID anymore. So now, like everything's now digital in August. Like, yeah, sounds familiar. I was thinking that when you were saying earlier that you're in kind of that season as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, hopefully it it'll be coming to an end in the next few weeks. I think games come uh, usually in Germany, but it'll be virtual this year. Obviously, that's. Um, I think a lot of things have been pushed to Gamescom, mm-hmm. so it's going to be like a real big blowout end of right. events kind of thing, and and then we'll be getting into into new console hype. So yeah, you know, it's just uh, it's just a big, just a big cycle. I always wait like, a year until to get till I get a new console because after the release, because there's always issues I find with the first like batch that come out yep. and they have to like that's it. because you are a smart man Jones, <laughs> and you're <laughs> and you don't get suckered in by the hype cycle yeah honestly you know yeah i'm i'm publishing a game that is hopefully launching with the new xbox and don't buy a new xbox on day one or a new playstation <laughs> or whatever just don't do it do you know what I did want to talk about? Because this is a movie. This is a movie podcast, and I get to talk about movies for once instead of video games. Ben Affleck coming back as Batman in the Flash movie. <laughs> we thought we'd seen it all. We thought he was hanging up the cape, hanging up the tights, but no, he's coming back one more round. Because Mickey loves you, and it was one of those moments. For all I make fun of uh, the Warner Brothers DC movies, and for all like I just, I think they really. They just don't know what they're doing. The moment I found out that it was like Ben Affleck was being Batman again, I was like, oh, that's nice. (laughs) I was just like, I don't understand why they care so much about this Flash, like who was just shit in Justice League. I don't know why we have to have this continuity. Just do any fucking Flash. It doesn't matter. I don't need to have like a direct follow on from that shitty movie. No one cares about like. Well, it just seems so like I think it's. Yeah. You have three Batmans now. It's stupid. And can I just say, I I haven't bought up Batman this week, Brandon. It was Paul this time. <laughs> I was going to bring this up when you mentioned Snyder earlier. Um, so I'm glad Paul did actually. Right, should we should we talk about the year that we're going to be uh, covering then? I guess we can move on to the year. I'm more discombobulated today. Not really, not really a big one for for movies, was it? Pretty quiet. Not much. Probably no. I think it's the quietest <laughs> film year ever. I don't think anything happened this year that changed anything at all. <laughs> like, to be fair, it's actually quite a lot like two thousand eight. 
when um, 2008 was a kind of really shitty, quiet film year, when not really much happened and not really much came out, apart from Iron Man 1 and The Dark Knight. And both yeah. of those films, like, completely destroyed both both elements of Hollywood, like the commercial side of it and even the Oscars side of it. The way that, you know, the Oscars <laughs> were scrambling over the fact that Dark Knight didn't get any awards kind of attention. And then this year, I think it's exactly the same for 77, because it's actually kind of a quietish year, really. Apart from the fact Star Wars comes out right in the centre of the year and completely and utterly changes Hollywood, like, yeah. forever. Um, and I don't know, what more can we even say about Star Wars? Yeah, Star Wars comes out in this year. Like, I don't know what you can say about Star Wars that hasn't already been said a billion times over. You know, it's a great, it's just a, a classic, it's a great film, and we still have no way of watching the original one unless you want to pirate it and get the that's true the 4k 77 <laughs> edition where someone's actually got a 35 millimeter print and they've kind of scanned it in and um also there's these specialized editions where people have taken like the blu-ray and then the original yeah. laser discs and they've kind of merged them together to get rid of all the cgi and stuff like that but yeah i will i recommend <laughs> though looking for the 4k 77 and 4k 83 which is a new hope and uh, jedi they haven't They've got a they've got a print of Empire, but the problem with the film stocks they used in the late seventies and the early eighties is it was quite cheap film stock to lower the cost of production down, so the the negatives deteriorate quite rapidly and quite badly. So they're trying their best to restore that okay. at the moment. But yeah, but yeah. Was um was Star Wars? I don't know this, so maybe this this could be a new thing. Was Star Wars a cheap film? Or was it expensive for? No, I think it's relative relatively cheap. It was it was cheaper than the than um, fucking hell. What are we talking about today? Oh, this the, we'll talk about the budget for this film. The budget for but this anyway, film is amazing. It's cheaper than um, a sorcerer. It was like ten million dollars, I think. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. That's actually that's kind of a lot for seventies though. So there was quite a lot. I mean, for a film that was like groundbreaking in terms of its special effects and stuff like that, it's probably not really. I don't know. You know, years before you had Cleopatra and stuff like that, which were like massive mega-budget films where they rebuilt the sets like three times and stuff like that. Sure, I guess. And I guess what? So Close Encounters comes out this year. Close Encounters budget was twenty million. So, so yeah, it's double double Star Wars. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of times, you know, the real, the real big leaps happen because of restrictions, don't they? Yeah. Because, you know, because they weren't able to throw money at a problem, they had to find creative solutions to a problem, and that's why, you know, that's why so much of Star Wars is the way it is. Because yeah, absolutely. You know, we've seen a lot of things that George Lucas would have done if he could have. And most of them are just crap, you know, and <laughs> and that's and that that's how it is, isn't it? Because everything is always like you've just got to you've got to work with what's in front of you, and yeah, it's not like a super a super limited budget or anything. But I think it definitely was limited enough that it that it made them find creative solutions to things that yeah. they might not they might not have explored otherwise. Which again, you know, because they found those creative solutions, they totally changed how films are made and marketed and all that kind of stuff forever yeah it's just it is totally one of those years that's broke broke hollywood like it's the year that i mean to talk about sorcerer for a bit which is obviously the film we're dealing with um it was a massive flop a huge flop like um i would argue 
broke both William Friedkin's and Roy Schneider's careers. But <laughs> we get into the, like, but um, it was not just that that did it that year. There was a load of different films that kind of stopped making money this year, um, or at least around this year. And because Star Wars came out at the same time, it kind of changed everything. I think you got like, oh, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, but I might have to look it up. I guess a lot of the big films back then were more adult orientated, and I guess when Star Wars came out, and it was more child friendly. That that it probably yeah. maybe things went a bit more that way with the bigger films becoming more, you know, more family friendly. I just think like you got like, I say it, along with like Heaven's Gate, and then you got like Michael Chiamino, uh, Francis Ford Coppola did One from the Heart, Martin Scorsese New York New York, William Friedkin did Sorcerer. All those films just flopped, and um, there's there was a kind of Right now in this period of 70s, you're seeing this change from that kind of, you know, uh, that big kind of bombastic kind of expensive kind of harsher films. Mm. And then Star Wars comes through and wipes the field with it and changes what people make as a Hollywood film. Yeah, and yeah, totally. people do look at doing stuff slightly cheaper, much more marketing to like a teenager audience, uh, much more adventure kind of flavor and much more, and and obviously merchandising, which was never a thing until Star Wars, really. So like... It just it completely changed the game, really. Yeah, totally. And it's a thing from from the business perspective. It happens so often where a big hit, something new will come out of nowhere, and then the next five years is all these big companies scrambling to try and replicate something that you yeah. can't necessarily even replicate. Like just trying to re, you know, it's the lightning in a bottle thing, isn't it? Like one thing will come out, and in a lot of ways, they do so well because it's new or because it just captures a, a zeitgeist of a current moment and then people try and copy it because it's almost like the smart, from the perspective of very big businesses, the smart thing to do is to chase, you know, is to chase the chase big prize. It's, it's not to yeah. go, exactly, it's to chase the big prize in the short term. It's not to It's not to think, okay, well, we'll carry on making our, you know, our things that have been, like, steady in the past. It's like, no, we're going to go after that. And you see, you know, going back to video games, what I know you can, like, I'm sure people have seen since Assassin's Creed came out, everything, every big budget game is now an open world game with a million dots on the mini-map and you go around all the dots and you do things and then there's there's cutscenes. Like, that's just, you know, that's how how the game, like, single-player games. Same with the Battle Royales genre. Like, PUBG came out, now every shooter is a similar kind of, you know, the area gets smaller and smaller and the last person yeah, sure. alive wins. And we'll see that again. There was a game that came out uh, called Fall Guys in the last couple of weeks, which massively exceeded everyone's expectations. I mean, it's it's a great game by a really by a really solid company backed by one of the best mid-tier public, probably the best mid-tier publisher, like, you know, or I shouldn't say mid-tier, like middle-sized uh, kind of publisher that there mm. is. And... Um, now I, I like I can tell you already the next few years are going to be dominated by big companies trying to replicate large scale multiplayer, slightly janky controls and silly games. Like that'll just be a thing now that they that they try and do because you know they've seen they've seen this game make a lot of money and and it's just it's the thing, isn't it? Like you never know what it's going to be. In the mm. same way that there was a time, there was a time where Harry Potter was a huge risk. There was a time where sure. Lord of the Rings was a huge risk. There mm. was a time where putting Robert Downey Jr. in an Iron Man movie <laughs> was a huge risk. Yeah. Was seen as like, <laughs> can you imagine? Like there was a time where people went, "Ooh, this, ooh, not sure about this." Like 
exactly it's why i think it's why i think 77 is a good thing to looking at 2008 as well the same kind of swings swing William Freakin says about making this film that up until basically this time period the idea that you could have experimentation in Hollywood films wasn't questioned like the director's experimentation was never questioned mm. it just it's just about the costs and then suddenly because you had these high profile crashes it no longer was like a kind of playing field for people to experiment in anymore and that just changed that changed overnight so even the 60s 70s you got these big bombastic films and the peak of that new Hollywood era, and then, then it just changes completely. And th- that's why like eighties films are different, nineties films are different. Not that there isn't good films coming out and good experimental stuff, but the Hollywood studio was no longer in sync with just like filmmakers being able to experiment for their kind of you know what they wanted to do anymore. Not for the same amount of money. Not for something like Sorcerer, which twenty-two million was the budget at the end of the day. Which for the 1977 wow. is absolutely insane. That's like Damn. you know, that's like Avengers money for a film like this, which which is insanity. And you can see why things had to change. But with the filmmakers, like it's same with the Lane May from we were talking about the other week. A film can lose money, and it's not too much of a problem. But if you make a film and go over budget, that's where the problem lies. And I don't know if there's some sort of <laughs> internal issues with that but it, it, it always t- seems to be like so you've got Zack Snyder and stuff like that and his films probably maybe lose money after all, everything's taken account for but he never goes over budget and that's why he keeps working because he can work with his budgets but if you yeah overspend on a film then you're you go to that's when you go to cinema jail basically yeah out. film jail yeah, yeah but sure. that, that's part of the that's part of the mega hit <laughs> it's part of the mega hit cycle though because these these things are funded by like venture capital which is just like they just have so much money just sloshing around that they look at things to invest in that are gonna that have the chance of making back a huge amount of money but it doesn't matter if they don't get a return on their investment mm-hmm. and that's that's the critical thing you have to look at because and it's exactly to your point jones like if you can keep to budget you're absolutely right. It doesn't matter because these people who are investing, they don't care if they don't get a return. They're just fishing for the mega hit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you go over budget, you did you're your screwed job. because you you've budget. broken yeah. the agreement with the. You know, if you if you go over, then you then you screwed up really badly because then you're you're eating into margins that mm-hmm. they that weren't agreed to and stuff, and then that can that can cause problems for the people who who are funding the thing in the first place. Um, I mean, I'm I'm kind of making a lot of assumptions. Obviously, I'm not an expert on the movie industry, but just drawing from my experience from a different medium, yeah, that's yeah, exactly yeah, it's yeah. exactly the same how it works. Um, and it like Zach Zach Snyder is obviously a great example because you look at his body of work and you can imagine something that he made becoming a mega hit. You know, um, mm-hmm. which has so I think him, like, like in a way, yeah, yeah. I'd but in a in a way, like because of those two things, like he's probably he is probably seen as a very safe bet. Um, I tell you what's an interesting film this year. Saturday Night Fever is really interesting because like it came out and the soundtrack was so big that they kind of recut the film for like uh, so it could play for more like, a wider audience because it was quite a. I didn't know like that. A, you know it's quite. A, I've never seen raunchy, Saturday Night Fever, but it definitely had you know. Have you not? So like when I was growing yeah. up, me and my sister used to watch it a lot. And then I remember watching it again when I was a bit old and I was like, I don't remember any of this. There's like 
all kinds of <laughs> shenanigans going on and I was like and I didn't realise they did two cuts of the film one to sell because the soundtrack became so popular that people wanted to see this film but couldn't and so they made it more uh, you know uh, just so the more general audience could watch it and then that became the normal version then I think like with the rise of VHS like in the 90s or whatever on DVD people were like oh there is actually another version which is like you know the rude saucy version Oh, the saucy that. version. Have you seen the sequel, which Sylvester Sloan directed? The one with with Sly. Yeah, I know it exists. I haven't seen it. Again. Staying alive. It's terrible. It's... <laughs> what a shame. Yeah, it reminds reminds me of when I was little, like seeing the pre watershed cut of Dirty Dancing, and it just being like a bit strange. <laughs> and then, like, you kind of grow up and you see the version with all the all the actual like subplots and well, the actual plot. Yeah. And the things that happen in the film put back in, and it's like, oh, wow, okay. I see now. Is that still a thing nowadays? That films get cut for pre watershed? Oh, it must be. I mean, the plane version is a, is oh, a yeah. huge thing, isn't it? For like in flight yeah. movies. I was watching ITV probably about five years ago, and Beverly Hills Cop 1 was on at 10 in the morning, and it lasted for an hour. <laughs> I'm not even joking. <laughs> they cut out all the swearing, which is pretty much the whole film. And then the bit where obviously we goes to the uh, the, the uh, strip bar and stuff like that. But it was like under an hour. That's with adverts. So you're probably looking about 45 minutes. That's Why would amazing. you even bother? Amazing. Why would you even bother? Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> all right. I feel, like, I feel like we've gone off track. What were we talking about? 70s. Late 70s. What was happening? Not much more. I mean, the, the sequel film. to Jaws came, comes out this year that no one ever thinks of, but it made an absolute shed load of money because it was a sequel to Jaws, but it's <laughs> called The Deep, and it's Peter Bench's next book that was just the next thing about the, an evil thing living in the water. And it stars Robert Shaw as well from Jaws, so it's got, it's got, it's got all your favourites in. I think it's directed by Peter Yates. If all I remember the, right. all and, the big names. I think it's got Nick Nolte in it for some of Nolte action. It's a part of ship. Don't watch this <laughs> film, but like I, I just always think of it as the sequel to Jaws, and it made absolutely shed load of money this year. But obviously, that's a film that doesn't exist, really. And it's it's interesting looking at these looking at these things going from like talking about the much more like business led alternate revenue streams kind of uh, focus group studio led productions rather than director led productions it does kind of signal a general shift in mindset of not just artistic mediums but kind of everything else like from the 70s to the 80s like if you think about it in in the context of the time like what was what was happening um in that period like it does it does track, doesn't it? it? It's like the increasing control of just corporations yeah. over um, over this kind of stuff, and the and exactly like sacrificing sacrificing vision for you know just broad marketability. Um, you know, you could I think you could make a strong argument that the same thing the same thing happened with music in the same period. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that I know that video games went through went through the same thing. Although obviously that started a lot later, but I mean, it kind we'll of get comes into... it comes for us all, doesn't it? We'll get into eighties films, obviously, next time we do them. But there is a hell of a difference between the kind of raw kind of seventies cinema we've been dealing with in this miniseries, and then the kind of much more crash commercialism with eighties films. And I, I mean, I love eighties films, but they are much more commercial 
in the way that presented, put together, advertised, yeah. and everything like that. Leading up to, we've already done the '90s, and that's commercialism overload. Like everything is pushed through that kind of machine at that time period, and that and it's perfect by that point. But the same thing happened to everything with the '80s. So you know, music became more yeah. commercial. Cartoons became a way of just selling toys and stuff like that, and forcing it down people's necks. But anyway. Yeah. What film are we talking about today, Liam? We are talking about William Freakin's Sorcerer. Did that say his name, Freakin? Uh, William Freakin. In 1971, William Freakin directed The French Connection. It received five Academy Awards, including Best Picture of the Year. In 1974, he directed The Exorcist. It made history. Since then, Friedkin has spent over two years in five countries on three continents, creating his latest film, an unusual adventure into the realm of suspense. So Sorcerer is a film about four guys who all end up in an unknown place in South America who then take a job to drive two trucks full of extremely explosive nitroglycerin through the jungle. And yeah, that's it. Okay, that's my plot summary. That's it. That's all I know to say about it. In a nutshell. Well, that is that's pretty much the film. I mean, yeah, it's simple. But don't get me wrong; I thought the film was really good. But I don't know. I don't know how much there is to talk about it, though. Like it's it's pretty much perfunctory kind of film. But I thought it was really good. I don't know what you guys thought. Uh, there's a lot of interesting stuff to go through. We'll, pl- we'll bash through the plot a little bit and the little things I wrote notes on. But for me, like, um, I think for some context of what this why this film came out I think is really interesting because William Freakin I find interesting in the 70s because he obviously he does two of the biggest films of the 70s French Connection in 71 and then and then follows it up with Exorcist in 73 Exorcist is arguably the best film of the 70s um you know it's at least it's part of the conversation and because of that he just gets this absolute blank check to make his film do whatever you want to do and what he decides to do is like he's all described it as the most personal film he's ever made he's said he's said it's the only film of his absolute catalogue he would never edit or want to make any changes on and it's um an overwhelming kind of bit of filmmaking bit of practical bit of filmmaking that's that's i can't imagine this shoot being anything but hell like like looking at looking at the people making it oh yeah it doesn't like it was a fun time (laughs) Not at all. Like, and the amount of explosions in this film, the amount of like the the mud, the fire, the the dragging those trucks through, the, the amount of roads they would have had to build. They they built bridges. They destroyed bridges. Like the rain. The yeah, the rain, the rivers, the water. It's um, it's a crazy bit of filmmaking, frankly. Um, this bit of the story about that that the budget was, I think, it was the budget originally was five million, I think, and then that was not enough money, so grows to 15 million 
And then Universal had to bring on, is it Paramount? And they joined together to co-produce this film uh, okay. when, the, when the budget ballooned to $22 million, uh, which is not how you make a film, as you were say, just saying before. And when this eventually got released, yeah, it only well, made... I, I think, think you're... You know, sorry, you're really lagging, I think. I can see my internet's playing up, so I'm sorry that I'm lagging. Like, um, I hope it's okay. Right, you're breaking up now. Sad times. Okay. I can't do anything about that. Oh, no. <laughs> um... What did you think of the film, Paul? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what? I thought I thought it was super interesting. As I, as I've said multiple times while on this, I'm not like I'm not an expert in movies. Uh, you know, for a while I I watched a lot of them, but it's definitely fallen off in in recent years. So I don't consider myself a film buff. But I think like I like to think I know a little bit about story structure and narrative structure the way that these things work and for me it's fascinating to watch something like this especially the the first part of this film before they get before they all get to south america the the structure of it is is amazing and it really um it asks a lot of the audience because it's not cut together in you know it's it it doesn't chop back and forth really you know they they allow these moments to kind of like breathe and and exist on their own and you know we don't have we don't have like constant flashbacks like explaining things or like adding details or anything throughout throughout the film you know there's some callbacks like right at the very end um and obviously the big kind of final uh, the big kind of final twist and everything but just the fact, and, and I think that's really it. Like, because obviously we have to think about this movie in the shadow of Star Wars, and you look at you look at how Star Wars is just such a classic hero's journey. You know, it's the it's just a, a really kind of classic fairy tale. It's constructed like a like a children's story, really. Um, you know, and that's not a criticism. It's just that's that's sort of the way it's it's structured in in that kind of way. And you look at something like Sorcerer; it's just totally the opposite, where it asks so much of you in the beginning, and then the characters really—they're the architects of their own downfall. Like oh, all of them, it's all yeah. a result of choices that they've made that have led them to this terrible, Hellscape. desperate situation. <laughs> yeah. But then the rest of the the rest of the film relies on the empathy of the audience for the characters, regardless. They're not framed as like heroic people. They're not framed as people. You know, they're not framed. They're not the A team. You know, they did the things that they did that led them to this situation. Yeah. But we're still asked, we're still asked constantly to really root for them and to feel, you know, and and to feel for them in this situation. And I think that just for that like you would not get that in a mainstream movie now i no. don't think no. like to the same extent no, not at all. the combination of of those the combination of those two things where it's essentially like i think especially sorry i'm terrible with names but especially with the french guy sure. and uh the guy from jaws <laughs> <laughs> you know those two like the guy from jaws is probably like is probably the closest that you get to as like an audience viewpoint, like he's he's, he's casted in in a slightly more sympathetic way, yeah, where it's yeah. kind of like you, 
you meant like it's you're given a little bit more rope with him. He didn't him. seem kill anyone on screen. He was he was robbing from the mob. He's a little bit kind of sympathetic in a way. Yeah. I would argue the Palestinian guy as well is presented really sympathetically as well. Um and you're asked to kind of like root for him. Yeah. In, in a way. Uh which I actually found surprising for a film from the seventies, really. Especially an American film from the seventies. I was gonna say, like there's two filmmakers around now that I think would definitely take in notes while watching this film. I think one of them is Paul Greengrass, because like the who did like the okay. porn films and stuff. Because like the intro, like you know, like all the explosions and the way it's shot, it's very kinetic, very handheld and stuff. And I felt like he's he very much tries to ape that this style. And also, um, who's the guy who did uh, 27, 27 grams and Birdman? Is it Inuratu? Oh, okay. Like yeah, I definitely Inuratu, got, like, yeah. A, a revenant kind of that feel like a very visceral and like a, yeah. the way it starts off at the beginning quite vignette I didn't know how it was going to play out originally and like I thought oh he's going to keep following all these characters in different storylines and I thought oh is he going to do a bit of a Babel kind of thing or whatever like cool, I, <laughs> cool. I mean, one, one thing just think, thinking about thinking about this film as more of like a film making thing because I think my main criticism of this film is for me I kind of I kind of see it like in the same way as um Oh fuck what's what's the name of the book that Apocalypse Now was made from I kind of remember now uh... but when like I when I read that book my main criticism of it was kind of like I get it but what is it about and I feel the same way about the sorcerer is like okay so it's this it's this really intense situation of these people but like do we learn anything does anyone do any of these characters really have any kind of arc um does any of it really matter like the the oil company get what they want i guess maybe that's you know like if i if i really stretch i can i can draw some anti-capitalist themes from it but i can do that with basically yeah, anything <laughs> you can <laughs> you give me enough time it's it's there, but it's definitely not the focus. But I'd argue, I'd argue mainly the film is telling you about really it's it's a proper kind of nineteen seventies sci fi film when really all it's it's telling you is about how desperate and and pitiful it is to be human and how like desperation is is always all about like the pessimistic yeah. world that people are living in right now because the seventies was a horrible place and. And it was a desperate kind of desperate living to go through, and really all this film is kind of doing that in a more fantasy way. Um, but that's what I kind of felt it was doing. It felt like William Friedkin's always described it as a really personal film, and I think for him to say that, I think that's what he means by it. Um, it's about his worldview and his kind of pessimism right. as he was growing, like making films at this time. Um, other than that, I don't know. Sure, like. It's yeah. I mean, for for me, it kind of it kind of falls into the trap that I think. Uh, I mean, you know, I don't want to sound like too harsh because uh, I enjoyed it a lot. I think it's great. But if I was if I was to criticize it, I'd say it falls into the same trap of a lot of movies made from books where I feel like because no one there's there's not much talking in this no, in this not. movie really. Yeah, you know, and it's. It's so much like if you think I think about my experience watching the film and you think about like how many shots are concentrated on what the actors are doing with their hands 
or on machinery or like um, maybe a little bit on like the built environment you know it's, it's interesting i kept noticing the um the oil pipe popping up like you know there was some there was like consistency there and yeah yeah the yeah yeah a lot of people having to um when they're fixing the oil pipes as well and stuff like that and the kind of like the the kind of you know covered in oil and the, the weight of it and the strain of it there's a lot of that kind of it feels oppressive that kind of environment that's going on in the natural world there absolutely yeah i think it's interesting like how just how physical the film is and i would be interested to read the book to see maybe if it like flits around like between the internal monologues of the characters a little sure. bit more or we find out a little bit more just about like how they feel about their situation beyond just being beyond like just the desperation that you know i I guess like gets temporarily resolved at the end but well do you think at the the end jaws a different person at the end to the beginning maybe he gets killed at the end i'm assuming yeah yeah you hear a gunshot don't you do you hear a gunshot okay i do yeah i think i missed that pretty sure you hear a gun fire. I knew the Italian mob turned up. But... I mean it's it's implied, isn't it? Like it's it's implied that yeah, it's it's implied that his mate jobbed him in, isn't it? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's the, it's the guy that it's the guy that he gets the tip off, isn't it, that turns up along with the guy who wants to kill him, so it's it's implied because how like how else would they have found him um otherwise. So, yeah, I mean, I I guess it's that, I but mean, then arse end of hell yeah exactly yeah but then even even that maybe that's where what you were talking about Liam with the with the pessimism coming in like he doesn't like despite the huge trauma that is in that is endured and he's survived from like he doesn't even get a chance no. to reconcile his trauma you know there's that really long shot at the end where it's just like the close-up of his face yeah yeah um you know and then and then you get the moment where where he asked the woman he doesn't to even dance, get the money where, yeah yeah <laughs> Where he like he asked he asked the woman to dance yeah. and it's like so that that to me is kind of like obviously him attempting to move on from this traumatic thing, but then he's kind of he's even denied that opportunity, isn't he? Because yeah. the thing that the thing that he was running from just catches up with him anyway. It's absolutely that they've gone through all this hell and all this struggle and they've actually achieved nothing, and they and even from the fact that all they had to do they even told them all they have to really need is like three blocks of dynamite that's all they actually want to blow the cap off for this drilling but like they make them take all of it because they're just like oh you know like you might well if if we have all of it then maybe something will come good at it um so it's like even the the huge struggle they went through was too much for the minor kind of success that they had at the end of it that they managed to you know cap the mine that's it and I just think it's it's not a happy film in in the slightest, really. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's totally for anyone who's interested in in movies in any way. I think you know, if you haven't seen it, like I, I think it's totally worth watching. Just just purely for the structure, for the physicality of it. Looking at it like as a production, it's it's the kind of thing that like on so many levels, it would just never happen. Yeah, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it was a flop when it came out, but didn't it come out like a week after Star Wars or something? Yeah. Like, of course, it was always it was always going to be uh, going to be a flop, wasn't it? Like, yeah, when it you, got when buried by Star Wars, that, absolutely. But... Like, but it, it it even though it may it was too expensive to make anyway, 
Like it was, we would, it was really struggling to get that money back, mm. especially a film that's so dark as this and just so complicated in the in the kind of you know how it lets how it, how it lets you feel when you leave the cinema. You know, you're not feeling this, telling everyone to go yeah. watch it. You're you're leaving the cinema, kind of like God, that was a that was like a car crash, and I feel like I need a stiff drink, really, or something. Mm. It's not really the kind of film that survives on word of mouth either. It's a film though that kind of it's got a very slow burn to start off with. I mean, I know you've kind of got all the explosions in Jerusalem and stuff like that, and but it takes a it takes a good hour for the main thrust of the plot to kick in, and then once once they go on their quest in these like giant trucks that they've kind of created, like with big like teeth at the front of the grills and stuff like that, they're like proper monsters. These trucks, they're not monster trucks, but you know you know what I mean. But um. <laughs> um but I thought, like, maybe they should have been when it kicked into gear. Like after, you know, because they they're testing all these drivers out to see if they can like handle like driving these kind of these kind of rigs and stuff. And um, like once it once it got to that point, I yeah, thought it was when fantastic. they got the water strapped up, yeah, yeah, it was just like a thrill ride. Then, like you know, as they're trying to cross these bridges and you know they're like they yeah. spend so long trying to blow up the, the fallen tree and stuff like that and the way they kind of macgyvered the kind of the rig to kind of blow up the tree and then the moment they do that they kind of the wheel bursts and it pop it, it disrupts the nitroglycerin yeah. in one of the trucks which is i think the truck that's called sorcerer and then it blows is up it you sorcerer? Think, oh, man, yeah. all that effort and they've just yeah i don't know what the other truck's called though I know he paints it in the rain, the name. And I'm like, why would you paint in the rain? (laughs) (laughs) It's got a more um, Spanish name, the other one. I can't remember it off my head, though. I did write it down. Right, okay. But, like, but yeah, you're right. Like, like, when I put this film on, I knew what the plot of this film was. I knew it was about trucks in the jungle. And I put this film on, and 20 minutes, we still haven't seen um, Roy Schneider. And those 20 yeah. minutes are like yeah, yeah. a French yeah. film about like some investment banking fraud and a film about like Palestinian terrorists in Jerusalem and also the Mexican hitman in the in the um, hotel earlier. And I'm I was like, lie. I was th- I was thinking, am I watching the right film? <laughs> yeah, I, I was about to say the same thing. I was literally like, have I put the right thing on is this the right is there a different sorcerer that i've got mixed up here or something like i was completely lost and then roy schneider appeared 20 minutes in i was like okay well i guess this is the right one but yeah it's it's not doesn't hand hold you going into this film it doesn't you know it doesn't thrust the star in your face when you turn it on or anything like to to make you comfortable it's um it's confident filmmaking in what they're doing yeah, he's the last protagonist to to be kind of shown on screen, but he's the the one that survives at the end, which is interesting. And don't you think he looked like the man from Del Monte at the end when he's like wearing all these white kind of scrubs? <laughs> I always think yes. of our man in Havana. Is it? I think I think that's uh, I think that's more of a classic look, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But I think just just to rewind, I wanna I wanna talk a little bit about like, um, I guess like what they what they chose to show and what they chose not to show because thinking of the trucks and the act of driving the sort of physical act of driving the sequence of the kind of like audition i guess for being a driver yeah is quite long when you kind of look at it and you sort of like well we know who it's going to yeah, be yeah we know who they're going to be yeah yeah we absolutely. know who it's going to be but yeah. they they show it they show it to they show they show us that anyway which is kind of like, okay 
And then there's this montage of them like doing the truck up and it's like, are they all mechanics? <laughs> Is the French guy a mechanic? Like this like this like soft soft handed investment banker rich guy like is he <laughs> is he good with trucks I and mean, it's a good whatever, point to like, be fair. Can, okay and it's, it's the 70s it's all like men they, could do trucks you know, because... in the 70s it's fine <laughs> but because it's interesting but then they don't show the moving the explosives from the hut into the trucks well you do see them carrying them out on the on the the rope pulley, the rope pull, the pulley rope system. Yeah, I remember the rope pulley. Do you know what? Maybe I totally missed this part. <laughs> yeah. They do, they what, do when they were... moving it. Maybe I just totally you, forgot you about do. that. Maybe you, that was when... You I do see it, but in, to Paul's point, <laughs> it's, it's, not, um, it's not focused on in the same way the kind of the, the no, driving no, element totally. is. It is a quick scene. It is almost passed through, like just like perfunctory. And not kind of they don't play up the kind of um, they don't play up the kind of trauma of it the same way they play up anything else when the nitroglycerin's moving. They don't like kind of make it really suspenseful. But I do, I do feel like that's that's another it's another small criticism I have of the film where I feel like because of the situations they find themselves in, it's almost like the explosive element is like it's not it's not really a thing. I know, yeah, yeah. I know because there, there's the there's the one moment where it's like they they're driving across that wooden section that's already totally broken, and it's like if that you're dead anyway, aren't you? Like it doesn't matter if the truck explodes <laughs> afterwards. And the same yeah. as like the same as going across the river on the bridge that's swinging and stuff. It's like again, like the the guy, you know, the the poor Palestinian guy nearly dies a couple of times, and it's yeah, totally yeah. unrelated. Yeah. Totally unrelated to hailed by to a the tree, fallen through it's... a crack in the well, not a crack, but fallen through the <laughs> yeah. timber. And it's, then you're and right then the because explosives... it's almost like the fact that like they would. It's the act of just getting the truck through the jungle is dangerous enough. Let alone that you've got a ton of explosives in the back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the ton of yeah. ex- like then when they actually the truck does explode, saucer does explode. It's on the most minor of things, like just the wheel pop and then just boom. Like it's. After everything else they've encountered, do you think the wheel pop was the was the least kind of considering those wheels are normally like they're doubled up, aren't they? Trip wheels mostly. Mm, so if one wheel so. bursts, no you've normally got. I'm sure truck wheels have got two wheels either side. I mean, well, next to each other and then another two. But so I'm surprised that like going on that rope bridge didn't it explode with the torrential rain and the winds thrusting it around on the rope bridge that it didn't trigger the. I don't know. Yeah, and then there's then there's like a whole last tree that just slams into the side of them. Yeah, yeah. And then the rope bridge <laughs> breaks before they're off it and all that. But like, I don't know. Maybe the French guy wasn't much of a mechanic after all. Maybe but it wasn't. maybe like maybe that's part of the thing. It's like maybe you're meant to kind of you know, they're thinking about the like more immediate threats and it, it's almost like uh what do you call it? It's like threat fatigue or something. Okay, um, yeah, sure. Uh, talking about that with COVID, weren't they? Because there's like only a certain amount of time you can you can, you be, can be afraid worried. of something yeah. before you start ignoring it. Yeah. And maybe that's part of it. And maybe that was the kind of point of like they're on this 
you know, very seemingly like it's all it's suddenly very open. It, it's suddenly very obvious where it the road is. For me. It's not raining. After they anymore. blew up the tree and they were and I was I literally wrote down in my notes, now they're getting to be friends and now they're actually learning stuff about each other and they're talking about their wives and then just boom. And yeah. I was just like, What yeah. the no, it's, like I like those five, two. Like, it's five minutes to nine Paris time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love it. I can't remember what I was going to say. Sorcerer, thumb, thumbs up from me. <laughs> Any final thoughts, Liam? Before we um. Well, I, I think we can't talk about it without talking about the the soundtrack by oh, Tangerine Dream. That's amazing. Is it Tangerine Dream? Like the synth stuff yeah, that yeah. kicks in. It's amazing. That stuff, is. Yeah. It's like two. It's like two notes. It's wicked. It's really cool. I really loved it, actually. Like, um, really kind of gives an element to that. It's when people say this film's kind of like a Herzog-y kind of film. Like, oh, I don't yeah, know if that's... it definitely is. And by having that German band like do the music to it as well, I think it's really kind of cool. Um, adds to that kind of similar thing. But um, I was thinking, I wanted to say that's why my mind went blank. You know, when they're driving over the rope bridge and the tree smacks it into them, and they yeah. get and mm. they get trapped on it. It reminded me when we were on a narrow road and your dad wanted to get the sink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so just to tell you the story, Paul, we're on a narrow boat on a canal barge with Liam, Rob Kenyon, and uh, one of my school, young school friends called Gemma. And um, we were like 12 years old, and my dad saw um, this Belfast sink on the other side of the canal barge. <laughs> my dad drove, like me, me Liam, uh, Rob, and Gemma at the other end of the barge, like sitting at the front. So my dad just decides to drive the barge into a tree so we could go to the other side of the canal barge. <clears throat> Me and Liam and Gemma get impaled. Rob's seeing this before any of us. Jumped into the... Like, Rob sees the tree coming, yeah. yeah. Jumps inside and then closes the door on us. And then we're squished <laughs> against the window, like... I don't know, like the Bill and Ted bogus journey poster or whatever. Like, all dumb and dumb. Like, I can't. I can't believe I never knew this about Ken. <laughs> and your dad's just driving further and further into the tree. I have it on video and you can just see us like going towards this bush and then all of a sudden my hand just smacks against the windscreen and you just see Rob kind of <laughs> smiling at us from the inside. <laughs> oh man, what a bastard. Can't wait to see him again. They still have that yeah, Belfast scene. So... <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, just like I love a happy ending. Yeah. So sorry if this was a bit of a mixed bag of a review of the film than we normally do, but we've been off for a few weeks, so we're going to find our groove again. <laughs> it's weird, isn't it? Like, as it's as an experience, it's great, but really, it's weird how it's kind of hard to talk about. Mm. Yeah, you can mention like the key moments, but I think everything like divorced of context just sounds a bit weird. Because you yeah, don't know sure. much, you don't know enough about the characters to really kind of get into you don't their need kind to. of psychosis. Like I was, I wanted to say like the when you're talking about filmmakers that are clearly inspired by it, I think yeah. Ben Wheatley's another guy. Oh yeah, 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 I think he's like filled in England is absolutely a similar type of thing to this when it's so such about the kind of desperation of humanity in like a bad situation and not so much about this man's called Fred and he doesn't like you know sausages or something I don't know what. especially the but end like, though when he you know he's driving through like the kind of the rocky deserty terrainy bit and yeah he's kind of got all those overlays and it's flashing back and, forth. and Vincent That's... Price is laughing at him yeah right? <laughs> <laughs> that's when you know you're fucked up <laughs> that's when you know you're fucked but like that bit as well that was so... to me I 
I watched it with my housemate, and and she said the similar thing that she liked it, but she's never going to tell anyone to watch it because it's so like it's it's like so harsh, really. But like um, the I think George Miller's like um uh, Mad Max is absolutely inspired by this film. Like, yeah, um, I, th- the I newest think so. One. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah. especially the last bit when you get the the New Mexico scenes. I know it's not same in Mexico, but it was shot in New Mexico. That blue that blue part of the desert when. The, the car breaks down and that's so so much just like the kind of wasteland in, in, in Fury Road and stuff and it just really sang to me I mean no Fury Road's like a high speed version of this film but it's still a, still a kind of like that element of that dragging technology through like a wilderness that's going to kill you and it's not just a wilderness and, and it's the actual technology itself but also the fact that like kind of there's an anonymous spirit throughout this whole film. Oh, yeah you, yeah, you keep seeing stuff like Aztec or, or Inca or something, any South American kind of, like, like carvings on the wall. You have, like, spirits haunting the place, like the native guy. Who that guy's amazing. He's, them cause they're... <laughs> He's, like, yeah, yeah. in front of their truck. It's funny, that guy. Yeah, yeah. And also the kind of old guy in the forest when they ask for directions in the forest. In the jungle who asks oh, for so directions doesn't exist tells them that that like city's that. dead. Yeah. You know, like... Um, it's it's there's almost like a paranormal kind of haunting of this film, like a ghost of this film, like like it's almost like I don't know the Grim Reaper is is punishing these people and they're in purgatory or something and they just have to go through this hellscape to kind I of die. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, that that feels really that feels hard to kind of you know enjoy to be honest. Um, and the fact that none of them get out of it works, you know. Like I really, really, really like this film. I thought it was beautiful to look at, it's stunning. Too. Like some of the the wide shots, like I said, like when he's in the kind of the rocky terrain, and I don't know if it's a matte painting or whatever, but the sky is like purple, like quite ominous over the top of him as he's, and it's almost like a skeleton structure of kind of like something behind him, and I don't know what it is, but it looks really ominous. And yeah, really liked it. But um, so what would you give it out of five, Liam? I I um, I think I put it on letterbox four four and a half I think for me I yeah. I think it's you know really enjoyed it but it's a but it's a difficult film to watch. I'm the same, Naden. I'd give it I'd give it a four. I think the thing that would tip it over to a five would be if they remade it with the cast of The Hangover. <laughs> <laughs> Not the cast of Top Gear. You can't see James May. No, and... fuck those guys. <laughs> or the new one. Who's the, who's the new one? Is it Joey still? I haven't got a clue. Actually, no, it's Max, I... Max and Paddy guy and uh, Freddie Flintoff, the, the the cricketer. They're the new posts, aren't they? I, 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 I barely know who those people are. I can't express how little I care about this. <laughs> 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 So uh, what are we talking about oh. next, next week, Liam? Well, I don't know because next week I think it's going to be you. Oh yeah, that's true. Own. But when we come back, we'll be doing uh, a horrible film that I don't want to watch called "I Spit on Your Grave." So. Oh yeah, mm. but thanks for joining us, Paul. <laughs> thanks so much for having me back. I always love just hanging out with you guys. So. Yeah, thanks, Paul. Cheers, and hopefully I'll see you soon as well. So uh, next week, Liam isn't here, so I've enlisted uh, my good friend and filmmaker James Rayner from Leeds to talk about. We're going to watch a classic Harryhausen film. I say classic, I actually haven't seen it, but we're going to watch um, The Golden Voyage of Sinbad from 1973, so I'm really looking forward to watching that. 
So yeah, please rate, review and subscribe on all the various different platforms that we're on. So, you know, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. If you have any ideas of films that we could talk about or you'd like to talk about the films that we're already talking about with this, you know, you can always reach out to us on Twitter. We are at Adjust Your Track. That's Adjust Your with a YR, not a Your Track. And um, yeah, don't forget, if the pitch is bad, always adjust your tracking. <laughs>